Heavenly Father, as we lift your praises, God, as we submit ourselves to you, Father, we pray that you would instill in us a heart to navigate life together. God, throughout this community, God, throughout our personal lives. And Father, as we look, look at what it means to have offensive authenticity, Lord, in life, in discipleship, Lord, that we would seek to be authentic in our worship, God, and in being together. Father, I pray that you would be over this time, Lord. God, that you would speak to us. Lord, that you would shift our perspective on what it means to be disciples. God, we submit this time to you, and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's been a while since I've been up here, or at least it feels like it's been a while. might not have been that long. I didn't look to see how long it's been since the last time I've been up here, but I know it was a lot warmer. I'm not very, I don't care much for the cold, so I'm, if I'm a little doing things with my hands, it's just because I'm trying to warm them up because they are ice cubes right now. But before we get started into the sermon, uh, I wanted to play a quick game with you guys. Uh, I've got a picture up here, and this picture is called The Forest Has Eyes. You might have seen this picture before, but in it are hidden faces. Creepy. creepy. Yeah, maybe it, it might be a little creepy, but I want to give you guys a chance to find all of these faces. Uh, so uh, I'll just give you guys a few more minutes. Like you just keep finding more and more. All right, so real quick, uh, who wants to sh- announce how many faces they've seen? Okay, Dale? 13. 13, okay. Kathy? 10. 10. 12. 12. 13, okay. So we've, had, we've got a, a, a bunch... 15. Okay, well, someone's wrong. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> but, so, in truth, there are 13 faces here. 13 faces. And so, what we are experiencing here is something called pareidolia. Uh, that's. Uh, the scientific term for when we see a face in an object. And uh, I have a few other uh, examples of pareidolia, the first one being a set of binoculars. So do you guys see a face here? Yeah. Okay. It's a happy, it's a happy little binocular. Uh, the next one, I have a faucet. This is the unamused faucet. Or maybe the shocked faucet. Uh, next, we have... A church. Now, I call this the chicken church or the chick church, right? Because it looks like a little chick. It's a cute little thing. And uh, so Lindsay was asking me uh, if I could somehow incorporate an onion in my sermon. And so this is what I was able to come up with. (laughs) Are you happy now? (laughs) But... Uh, So these are all examples of pareidolia, and uh, pareidolia is our ability 
to see faces in objects. Now, recent research suggests that pareidolia is one of the fastest occurring reactions that happens in our brain, happening around 160 milliseconds, which is incredibly fast, especially when we put into reference that the blink of an eye happens between 300 and 400 milliseconds. So your ability to recognize a face happens faster than a blink of an eye. And as such, they have found that it is strongly linked to our flight or fight or flight response. Because after all, it pays to be quick-witted when you find yourself in a situation like this. Seeing a face counts, right? <laughs> now, there are other examples of pareidolia. Uh, for example, if I were to say there's a Starbucks on every corner, you would become hypersensitive and start figuring out or seeing all the Starbucks that are around. Another example is when you have a close encounter with an omnipotent God that created the world, you begin to see his handiwork in your life. You begin to see where he's working, where he's talking to you, speaking to you. And these are just examples of pareidolia, and it all has to do with our perspective. Now today, I want to begin to shift our perspective on discipleship and what authentic discipleship looks like. Specifically, I want to talk about how it relates to our ongoing sermon series, Offensive Authenticity. Because here at Anchor Church, we believe that hope begins in discipleship. So discipleship is a big thing, and uh, the verse that, that protects our core value of life is found in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, I find this to be incredibly fitting for discipleship. It's it's such a perfect verse for it, and today we're going to unpack exactly how it's perfect. Because let me tell you, there are times when we really need some motivation to love people, right? I don't know about you. I mean, you guys get to see Titus when he is all bubbly and having fun and laughing, and like you get to laugh alongside him. But when I go home with him tonight, it's going to be a different story. Right? He's going to be worn out, he's going to be tired, he's going to be cranky, and he's going to let me know all of it. And there are times where I just need Amanda to motivate me to just not lock him in time out all the time, or to not just leave him in his room and say, I don't hear anything, do you? We all need that kind of motivation. We need someone in our life that is spurring us on, motivating us and saying, you've got this. You can do this. Now, at this point, I recognize this isn't really offensive. It might be authentic, but it's not really offensive. So how does this relate to offensive authenticity? Well, the truth is, we come to our first thing that we need to understand, and that is that authentic discipleship is uncomfortable. See, who is familiar with what a spur is? Okay, yeah. If you've been around horses, you kind of know what a spur is. Uh, and I would hope that you guys know how a spur is used. Because when used correctly, it 
causes a discomfort in horses that urge them to move in a desired direction. And it's the same with discipleship. You see, having someone that can push, put a little discomfort in you to push you in a desired direction or in the right direction to spur you on towards acts of love and good works, that can be a little uncomfortable. Now, I also recognize I'm not doing a good job of selling discipleship at this point. (laughs) But the truth is, we need to be pushed out of our comfort zone. The truth is, we love to stay in our comfort zone. We build our walls. This is where I'm comfy and cozy. People don't come in. I don't go out. We have this agreement. Everything's good. Trouble is, we don't grow in our relationship with God when we're in our comfort zone. Because we don't like to stray out. We don't like to encounter the problems that happen outside of our comfort zone. Because believe me, I know what happens. I'm an introvert. I hate stepping out of my comfort zone. And so even just being up here is like, <laughs> like it's nerve-wracking. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for spurring me on. But when we leave our comfort zone, we have this notion of that's when trouble strikes. That's when we encounter problems. That's when, that's when trials happen. And this is exactly what Romans is talking about in chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. And so as we read this, we see that this discomfort, the problems, the trials, the things that we have to endure, they build endurance, strength of character, and this character leads to hope. So what do we see here? Hardship, discomfort, it's all growing pains. It's how we grow, which is why we need to be pushed out of our comfort zone, why we need to be spurred out of our comfort zone. As an example, who has ever worked out, gone to the gym, worked out at your home? Okay, we've all tried it at some point. Now, how many of you guys have pushed yourself as hard as you could during a workout? Okay. Now, who has ever had a personal trainer? Okay. So, for those of you who haven't experienced a personal trainer, you see, personal trainers they don't take what you would say, you're at your limit. (laughs) Your limit is a very fluid thing to them. (laughs) And so what they, their whole job is to push you harder than you will push yourself. Because we like to stay out of, in our comfort zone. Or if we step out, it's only just one step. But personal trainers, their whole goal is to push you as hard as you can because that's how you grow. Because the truth is, when we're alone, we believe that we've reached our limit. 
But when we, when we have someone else that's spurring us on, we get to see exactly what our limit is. And it's the same with authentic discipleship. You see, having someone that knows the good that you can do and has seen you done before and says you can do it again and takes that spur and digs it into your side and gets you to keep moving on towards acts of love and good works, it's a game changer. It causes growth, tremendous growth, like that you have never seen before. Now, make no mistake. A lot of times we believe that discipleship, it has to come from someone who is knowledgeable on the subject. Or it has to come from someone that is specifically named Kirk Carr. Or it has to come from the pastor. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the truth. It can't happen that way. That's not how God intended it, nor is it how Jesus wanted it to happen. You see... The truth is, there are people in your life that I can't relate with. There are people in your life that you have relational credibility that I, I don't have that knowledge of. You know what they have endured. You know exactly what they can endure. And it's up to you to spur them on. Francis Chan talks about this in his book, Multiply disciples making disciples. He says, we reduce discipleship to a canned program and so many in the church end up sidelined in a spectator mentality that delegates discipleship or disciple making to pastors and professionals, ministers and missionaries. But this is not the way it's supposed to be. You see, nobody gets a pass on this. And so, yes, when I say it's uncomfortable, it's not just uncomfortable for the person you're spurring on. You've got to step out of your comfort zone too. Everyone has to. Not just me, not just Lindsay, not just Dale. Everyone. Now, when you do step out, you will grow like we talked about. You will experience unparalleled force or growth. But the truth truth is that this also forces us to come face to face with the fact that authentic discipleship is offensive. Now, when I say that, I don't mean like it's meaning to get you riled up or to upset you, but rather it's not defensive. It goes on the offense. You see, when it talks about Spur one another on. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Notice it doesn't say we're going to wait around. Notice it doesn't say we're going to wait for someone to teach us. But it also says that we, all of us, are going to spur one another without asking for permission, we're going to encourage one another. See, this comes about as a direct result of the Great Commission. You've heard it before, Matthew chapter 28, 
It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, we don't see anything in there that says, therefore, wait. Let them come to you. Instead, Jesus flips it and says, you are to go out into all the world. You are to take this anthem to everyone. No matter where they are, no matter where they've been, go make disciples everywhere. This can mean people on the other side of the world. But this can also mean people on the other side of your street. Or maybe even people on the other side of the aisle. Some people in this very room might need another person motivating them, spurring them on. Are you the one that needs to do that? Go and make disciples. And teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. That means go make disciples. Go make disciples. So we have another person going to make disciples. Who goes and makes disciples. You see, the truth is, a disciple is someone who makes disciples. Now, I need to be very clear here. This is a declaration against isolation. We can no longer as a church afford to sit within these four walls and say they're going to come to us. We can't sit here and think that if we just have a, if we have a kicking youth program or if we have, yeah, I know, I went there. If we have an amazing children's program that they will come. We, and we have allowed ourselves to settle into this if we build it, they will come kind of mentality. When the truth is, we've been building it, where are they? And so Jesus makes this statement as a declaration against isolation. We cannot isolate, not as a church and not as individuals. See, the church isn't meant to tempt people to come inside its four walls. The church is meant to go and make disciples. And yet, we still find ourselves isolating. And we use all the excuses in the world that we can find. Believe me, I know I've used some of them. Things like, well... They don't know what I've been through, or I don't know what they've been through. I don't have time. I don't know enough about the Bible. What if I don't relate? And if they knew I was a Christian, they wouldn't be my friend, or things like that. And oftentimes, we let those excuses become our fears. And our fear begins to paralyze us, and it keeps us from moving. But the truth is, no matter who you are or the qualifications, Jesus has called you. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus has called you. And all we need to do is look at his first emissaries to realize that, okay, we don't have it so bad. When we stop and look at Peter, who was among those who were sent out to make disciples. Peter, who denied Jesus three times in a moment of Jesus' darkest hour. In the moment of Jesus' darkest pain, Peter denies knowing him. We look at James and John, who earlier in the Bible had tried to gain access to a village, and when they weren't allowed in, asked Jesus, do you want us to have the earth swallow them up? Like they have some serious anger issues. And then Thomas, who wouldn't believe it was Jesus until he felt the scars. You see, whether you struggle with anger or your faith is not rock solid, Jesus still calls you to make disciples. Because He called His first disciples to make disciples. You see, these men were so focused on making disciples that they couldn't be bothered with what happened in the past. They couldn't be bothered with hearing people talk about, well, you used to be like this. Their response was almost always, but now I serve the Lord. But I also understand. They had a personal relationship with Christ. They got to see Him face to face. They got to talk to Him directly and hear His words spoken from the mouth of Jesus. Who wouldn't be excited by that? Who wouldn't be a little bit excited and gung-ho when Jesus, if Jesus were to stand in front of you today and say, go and make disciples, I think I'd be like, yeah, okay, let's do this. But now we've arrived at the last thing that we need to know about authentic discipleship. And that is that authentic discipleship is paridolic. I know that's a weird word, but if you'll remember, I said it at the beginning of the sermon, paridolia, where I spoke about us seeing faces. And there are many examples of paridolia, as I said. And I think the truth is that God wants us to focus on two forms of paridolia in authentic discipleship. The first one I can only best describe as through an experience I think we have all encountered. Who has ever made a funny face and had a, had a parent say, don't make that or it'll get stuck that way? I think we've all had that, right? That's how, <laughs> that's how some of us are looking today, right? But what if, what if we sought to look so much like Jesus, our faces got stuck that way? What if we embodied the image of Christ so well that people thought that they were speaking to Christ Himself? What if we were able to, we were so in line with what Christ was saying that we could perfectly act out His will? You see, the truth is, this is how God intended discipleship. You see, this spiritual kind of paridolia 
is what Paul was talking about in Ephesians. It says, So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And the NIV, I like how it stays. It, it says, obtaining the full image of Christ. Meaning that we look, at the deeper that we go into discipleship, the more we look like Christ. You see, this is the whole reason that Jesus commanded us to go make disciples. Again, Francis Chan says in his book, it's impossible to be a disciple or a follower of someone and not end up like that person. Jesus said a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. That is the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him carry on His ministry, and become like Him in the process. You see, we are called to make disciples. And everyone we meet is a potential disciple. Everyone we encounter is, has a chance at redemption, at a chance at forgiveness. If only we would notice them. And this leads us to the second example of pareidolia. You see, God wants us to see the faces in the background. At the beginning of the sermon, I had you guys look at a picture. See, this picture, there are faces in the background. And truthfully, there are faces in the background of your life. Do you notice them? Have you counted them? You see, God wants us to look for these faces in the backgrounds of our life. But so often we overlook them because, generally speaking, they're just extras in this movie that we call life. They're the throwaway characters that we're never going to see again. Or maybe they have another appearance in a sequel. In the next chapter of this story, we'll see him again. But the truth is, God has placed them purposefully in our life for a very particular reason. To make disciples. And so often we miss the people hidden in plain sight. So my question to you is this. Where are you in the process of making disciples? Where are you at? Are you ready to be spurred on? Or do you need to be spurred? Or do you need to spur someone else on? But no matter where you are at, we have a tool for you to use. We have something to help. You see, we have recently developed what we call the Discipleship Pathway. And this is a three to six month program where it's designed to take you from, uh, take you from getting more depth in your relationship with God to sharing your story. 
You see, it's a one-on-one kind of deal, so you don't have to worry about pouring your heart out to a bunch of strangers who may use that against you or not. But it's one-on-one with someone that you personally can trust and grow deeper with. It has discussion questions designed to challenge you, to make you think and shift your perspective on discipleship. And it's relevant for everyone. Whether you've been a believer for 10 minutes or 10 years, there's something in it for you. And best of all, I've done all the hard work for you. All you have to do is show up, ask some questions, and don't take any kind of soft answers from anyone. You get to have the fun part. But if you're ready for a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God, the time is now. And as we end this time, I'm going to put this challenge out to you. Have someone take you through the discipleship pathway. I challenge you, walk through it. Because Jesus didn't give us an out. We are all expected to make disciples. And at the end of the discipleship pathway, you will be expected to walk someone else through that pathway. Not because I'm expecting you. Not because Lindsay's expecting you or this church is. But because Jesus is expecting you to make a disciple. Will you be ready when the time comes to live out the Great Commission? The choice is yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we commit this time to you, God, it is our heart's desire to live out your word. God, to make disciples of all nations. But God, sometimes sometimes it's hard for us to step out of our comfort zone. God, sometimes it's hard to love the people that you have placed in our life. But Father, we ask that you would place in our hearts now someone who can spur us on. God, someone who can motivate us to acts of love and good works. And Father, we pray that as as we submit our hearts to you, God, as we submit to this challenge of going through the discipleship pathway, Father, I pray that you would honor our bravery. God, that you would honor us stepping out of our comfort zone. God, and that you would allow us to grow because we are following steadfast after you. Father, as we sing this last song, God, we submit wholly to you. God, you are amazing. If only we would stop to see. God, we ask that you would open our eyes to the extras in the background. Lord, the the faces in the background. May we take note of that. Father, because we may change someone's life who's feeling ignored, who needs a little extra motivation. Father, we commit this time to you. and We love you in your name. Amen.